0: I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service here in the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. I am Nayaswami Parvati, and this is Nayaswami Pranaba. And we're very happy to be with you today for this Sunday service. I'll read now from Rays of the One Light. These are commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Week 21, the best way to worship. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In Chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. John, the woman of Samaria asks Jesus, Where is the best place to worship? This question might be expanded to include, What is the best church? What is the best religion? Is it important to go on pilgrimage to holy shrines? What is the best ritual? What is the best mantra or prayer? Jesus cut across all such questioning with his reply. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It was not that outer considerations of place, church, ritual, etc. are irrelevant. Each person should find those practices and observances which are compatible with his own nature. One might say, with his own vibrations. Not everyone's natural path is the same. God sent different religions into the world to satisfy different human needs. The overarching concern, however, considering that the goal is to find God, is to include in one's worship daily inner communion with the Lord. God is silence. He must be sought, therefore, in inner silence. God is absolute love. He must be sought therefore in the silence of love. God is spirit and thus immaterial. He must be sought above all in the expanding peace of deep meditation. Thus the Bhagavad Gita states in the sixth chapter, sequestered should he sit steadfastly meditating, solitary, his thoughts controlled, his passions laid away, from every craving for possession freed. Wherever you are, whatever your outward beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your own soul. Thus, through holy scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh.
1: Normally we say good morning when we start the service, but in looking at the people that are attending these online services, you're coming from many different time zones, so I'll just say, welcome to a new day. Even it might be evening in your time zone. I'd like to read to you from Paramahansa Yogananda's book A Prayer Demands Whispers from Eternity. Teach me to find thee in the cave of my heart that I may walk with thee everywhere. Teach me to hear thee in silence that I may hear thy voice beneath outer noises. Teach me to find thee in inner peace that I may be with thee calmly in the midst of outer tumult hubbub or silence, tumult or peace, I care not. So as long as thou wilt teach me to find thee anywhere at any time. Parvati and I had an interesting experience the other day when we were leading here on West Coast Time of America the morning meditation to celebrate Swami Kriyananda's birthday. And I should preface this by saying uh, I want to give thanks. We want to give thanks for the crew that's here every Sunday to allow this Sunday service to be broadcast online to all of you. So we've got a great audio video team with Bhaktan, Christian, Sagar, Coral, Jitendra, and Dion. And then we've got this amazing, team of Lisa and Tim Clark that allow everything else to come into place so on behalf of all of us I give thanks and much appreciation to all of them so and it ties into what I'm going to say next Um, but this interesting experience we had this past uh, Tuesday as I said leading Swami Krenandi's birthday meditation is that we started with a prayer we did a few chants and then Parvati talked a little bit about the audio clip of Swami Kriyananda that was going to be played for our benefit for all of our benefit Um, that was a talk on spiritual tests and so once she ended her little preface to this audio clip the audio clip started to play and then her words that just happened start to play in the temple here the sanctuary as well and then not only on top of that there was another layer echo of Swami Kriyananda's voice from that recording. So we had this triple audio effect. And um, if some of you have been in this sanctuary at the Temple of Light, sound really resonates. And so those sounds here were just wrapping themselves around us in a loud way. And so we didn't know what to do. And being naive about what was going on, At one point, after a moment, I I started to read something that I was going to read at the end of the meditation, uh, words of Swami Kriyananda. And as I finished that, and we were about to meditate, then Christian softly came up, keeping physical distance, uh, and said, that didn't play out to the people's live streaming. And I thought, you know, that's perfect as an illustration of life itself. You know, what we think is happening, who knows what's happening out there for other people? And that was very real in that experience. It just, I mean, I just laughed. I was just amused at the beginning of meditation just thinking that, that, wow, and then I said to them afterwards, yeah, this will make a good story. I didn't think about it using it for this Sunday, but why not? So, um, but that idea that what is real and how do we really come into a greater experience of reality. Because there's always going to be facets of reality. And I think that's, we can relate to that and understand that in a very true sense. But what's what's the reality behind, underneath, that's really the essence beyond the expression or the reflections of reality? Because just like a diamond, a beautiful diamond that's cut in an exquisite way, there are many facets, many faces to that diamond. But the diamond itself really is untouched at its essence, at its core. And so that's something we can look at in terms of the experience of that inner emphasis of meditation. You know, there's a saying from the Jewish scriptures, actually from the Talmud, that says, uh, we do not see things as they are. We see them as we are. Isn't that interesting? It really captures an important point, is that it is our deeper and deeper experience that allows us to really know that experience in every part of our lives. And in this time when we're still in the midst, this is May 24th, the year 2020, and we're still in the midst of dealing with the COVID-19 coronavirus, and at this point, many states across this country and many countries throughout the world are starting to relax the restrictions that have been placed, the stay-at-home restrictions, and so forth. Now, I believe everyone's saying it's still good to wear a mask and to keep physical distance from others. And so that's important. But this idea that we're kind of emerging out of the cocoon of this self-isolation, these restrictions, is going to be, of course, very fascinating to see how that unfolds and what evolves from that. But regardless of what's going to happen or not going to happen, I think a lot of us feel, um, honestly within our own selves, that it would be wonderful to get together with people again in person, uh, You know, even if we have that physical distance. Um, but that may be some time for certain events. There, nobody's quite sure. What will really happen in places of worship like this Temple of Light sanctuary here at Ananda Village? At what point do we allow people in? And what does that look like, allowing real people in the real room as opposed to virtually? Um, But I was thinking about this in terms of the topic today of pilgrimage. I remember when I first came to Ananda Village, this is in the summer of 1978. And I'd uh, gotten some rides from uh, Nevada City out here uh, to the property. And I remember walking onto the property from Tylerfoot Road, which is a road that Ananda Village is situated on. And I remember feeling this deep, deep sensation of, this is my home. And I remember uttering that mentally to myself. This is my home, feeling it in my heart. I knew even then, though that what I was really tuning into was not just the physical location of this property called Ananda Village, but Ananda as a spiritual vibration, as a spiritual consciousness, as a spiritual setting beyond any boundaries of time and form. And so I grew in that experience. I went back to Canada after that summer and started a meditation group for Ananda and continued that way and then moved here in 1981 to the village. Shortly after that, I went on a pilgrimage to the shrines in Southern California that are associated with Paramahansa Yogananda. And I remember in in each of the places I went to just feeling wrapped up in the aura of that vibration, particularly at the Forest Lawn um, Memorial Gardens where Paramahansa Yogananda's body is interred uh, inside the the main building, which is very extensive and many different uh, parts to it. But I remember sitting there on the coal cement uh, seats right in front of his tomb, which has a, uh, a very polished brass plate and some flowers in containers, just feeling just no separation from my guru, just feeling very much the reality that this is true always for me. And of course, after that, I forgot that feeling. I tried to remember it and did my best. But, but at times forgot that preciousness of that feeling. But I realized what I really need to do was keep the, that inner focus of inner pilgrimage as my real focus and real concern. But then I remember going on pilgrimage, Parvati and I went on pilgrimage to India um, in 2004 for the very first time for both of us to be in India. And we went with a group that was organized by Ananda Sisi. And it was a multi-national group with people from many nations. And it was just amazing. I remember we landed in the Mumbai airport. And just there in this mundane setting, uh, I could feel the power of, as Master and Swami Karinanda talked about, Just the soil itself in India percolates up, that spirituality. And I felt that very real as an experience. But one of the times that really touched me the most was when we were in Kolkata. And we visited the boyhood home of Yogananda at 4 Road. Now at that time, his nephew, Hare Krishna Ghosh, was still in his body, was still living with his wife and his son. And so they were taking care of that shrine, which it really was. The whole building was indeed a shrine, a pilgrimage point. And we were able to go there a couple of times. And I remember the first time we went there as a group. And our group wasn't very large. I believe we had about 20 of us, um, plus a few others uh, that day. And we were in the front room of the Forgarpar Road uh, Roadhouse, uh, which is referred to as the parlor uh, in India. And we had finished some. Uh, Satsang with Hare Krishna Goswami sang some inspiring stories of Yogananda when he came back in 1935 and 1936 to India. But I remember as we were starting to meditate, I just started to weep with just the deepest gratitude and the deepest joy of just feeling the presence in this room was not just something I had to imagine, to visualize, to affirm it was such a deep deep experience of pilgrimage in that way and i've had uh, many other experiences that i won't recall today uh, on pilgrimage that uh, again were very moving and very very transformative i would say not just touching but transformative as experiences that really deepen my awareness of the presence of of god of guru and the presence of other deep disciples, uh, and just very real in my life. But here we have ourselves again in these restrictions from the coronavirus. where We're barely able to move into uh, being outside, let alone coming to a point of pilgrimage. And so this reading catches that point that is significant for us, is that the inner pilgrimage is always going to be the primary focus, and and concern for us to pay attention to. Because I, I remember reading one time about a, um, um, an article in Time Magazine uh, about uh, retreat facilities, or the experience of going on spiritual retreat. And it was geared primarily to Christian-oriented retreats. Um, but it mentioned this one uh, priest, a Roman Catholic priest, that was directing this retreat facility. I forget where it was. And he made the comment that was just rich with uh, deep significance. He said, people think that they will find peace outside of themselves, for instance, coming to a retreat facility like ours, or going on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He said, but much richer can that experience be if people realize they start with that inner peace, they start with that inner experience, and then the experience outwardly in that form of worship or a retreat or a pilgrimage is going to be magnified. And that idea of magnification is really what we're trying to tune into. We're not trying to create that experience. We're not trying to even develop it. We're trying to open up to the magnetism of that experience. But if we can also just focus on what is real for ourselves in our own inner experience all the time, not just when we go on this outer experience of worship or pilgrimage or whatever it might be on retreat, then, then we have the key to this. I remember when Parvati and I were the spiritual directors of Ananda Portland in Oregon some years ago, that at one point I would set up to go on uh, a week of seclusion. And because of circumstances, I couldn't make it down here to Ananda village, which is typically where we try to have our weeks of seclusion. And so I found an actual monastery outside of Portland, the city itself, uh, that I arranged to go for a week. It was a Cistercian monastery, which is often referred to as that they're Trappist monks. But uh, that prior week to going on seclusion was a very busy and hectic week. It was just overwhelming, in a sense, to me. And then on top of that, I was um, planning to go on this seclusion uh, late Saturday afternoon. That Friday evening, the day before, I did a free introductory lecture uh, on how to meditate for people in person. And then the next day, I gave a four-hour workshop uh, on how to meditate. And it was a substantial turnout. And of course, as happens a lot of the time, at the end of the workshop, as my eyes are looking at the clock to escape, many, many people came up and want to ask questions and want to connect and want further guidance. So it was some time before I could uh, leave where the workshop was being held. And I remember getting home, and Parvati was going to drive me off to the retreat facility that I was going to, and just started to feel that my body was very tired, and my mind was also equally fatigued. And we got to the facility, Parvati helped me unload, and got into my little uh, little room, my little cell, to do my seclusion. And I ate a little bit, and then, um, then I thought, you know, I'm not feeling that alive right now. I better meditate uh, to get my evening meditation in. And so I meditated and felt I just could not sustain a longer meditation. Um, you know, I think I did my uh, dozen kriyas and a little bit of hong hongsa, but it was a 30-minute meditation only where I was used to more, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. So it felt kind of mm, grinding on me. And then I thought at the end of it, well, here I am. I'm poised to do this seclusion that I've been looking forward to for a long time. And here I am. I can barely meditate starting off the the experience. And I just remember feeling, wow. you know. And then I thought, well, whatever. I'm going to go to sleep right now. And I went to bed around 8.30 in the evening, which I hadn't done in a long, long time. And I remember lying down in my bed just saying, Om Master, Om Master, Om Guru, this is yours. And I just fell asleep instantly. I mean, I was out like a rock. And I woke up 12 hours later. I don't think I've slept 12 hours at a time other than being sick with a cold or flu symptoms since I was a teenager. I mean, it was just remarkable. So I got up around 8.30, quarter to 9 the next morning. But what was interesting was the feeling I woke up with. I remember feeling and saying just to myself, I get to have seclusion. I get to meditate. And it was like that for the rest of the week. It was just a powerful experience of that inner pilgrimage. I just was able to go very, very deep. In fact, uh, it was the deepest seclusion I'd had uh, for many decades. It was just that experience of really saying, everything I am is yours, divine. Everything I am is yours, guru. And it just felt like it, it carried me into that depth of that experience. But you know, as I know, that doesn't always happen. I've had seclusions where um, probably the mechanism that I would call that's really engaged is coping or enduring. And perhaps you've had that, maybe not for a whole week, um, but maybe for a meditation for a few days, or whatever it might be. Um, But even when I've had those type of experiences, I've thought, you know, my part really is this to offer myself. What comes of itself comes, as, as Yogananda would say, that everything will come to me that is mine if I just do my part of offering up. And that really is the experience of the inner pilgrimage, that inner experience, that inner touch, that sometimes we're not able to cognize that touch, we're not able to sense that we're, we're actually with God. It feels like the divine is somewhere else while I'm struggling along, in my experience. But of course, if we are paying attention at all, that the divine never leaves us. We just get wrapped up on our little bubbles, our little vortices, whirlpools, and get taken off from our uh, focus and our course that we're trying to continue on with. But. You know, that's going to happen because of karma. Karma will come. Karma is that effect of the choices we've made in the past, whether this lifetime or perhaps previous lifetimes, that starts to um, unwind itself and have an effect on us at this moment or in this point of time. And so that karma may affect what our experience is, how we're open, what, what we feel is happening. But all we need to remember at that time is that our effort, our offering, our self-willingness to attune ourselves, will let God take care of the rest. We may not know how much karma we have to work out. We may not know how long that will take or what depth that karma is. That may be a mystery to us. But from our conscious approach, that we can lift ourselves into the superconscious experience, we always have the choice to be in that deeper, expanded awareness. And if we can do that, sequestered in a solitary experience, sequestered in ourselves, seated in meditation in solitary, that we can feel the pulls of karma, the pulls of likes and dislikes may still linger or present themselves to be strong at times, but we needn't be affected by them. We nurture ourselves in the experience of our oneness, then we'll find that those tests, those challenges of karma when they come. They're their opportunities. They're the ways that we're going to grow the most. They're not going to be the things that hold us down. So even in times of stress and anxiety and fear that are around us, we needn't feel those stresses, those fears, those anxieties. They just will be like water off a duck's back. They are real in their own sense, uh, of this, like the voices vibrating in this temple for Parvati and myself when we led the meditation the other day. But that isn't the real reality that was going on. It was really that there was the experience of Swamiji's voice behind all of that. And that is really symbolic of the voice of God, Om, the presence of the Divine, that is always available to us. And if we can but open ourselves up to that experience, then we will always enjoy the benefits of that inner pilgrimage, wherever we are, and whatever we're doing. So blessings to you. Let's take a moment to meditate.
2: I've heard your flute high on a cloud. Your call I can't resist. Oh, let me come and play with you will scatter music with the dew And sound the morning mist I've heard you piping on a hill All else I've set aside Or oh, let us dance the mountain peak We'll skip with breezes on the creeks and soar the valleys wide. called me to the fields. Now I've no place to live. Don't send me back, rejected friend. Whatever I call mine must end. All that I am, I give. I hear your call in every tree in every flower and stream and sweetest melody of all a song that heaven's joy recalls here in my heart you see